0: Welcome to Beggar's Bread, a podcast where we invite Christians and truth seekers to engage with thoughtful sources in an age of disinformation. Our name is inspired from a quote by D.T. Niles. Evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Each week, we recommend a source for you, either a sermon, podcast, or video. This week, we bring you an interview, and it's called The Science of Forgiveness. And with that, this is Luke here in Wisconsin, and I'm here with a guest today, Dr. Chad Magnuson from Church of the Incarnation. Um, how's it going, Chad?
1: Great. Thanks for having me, Luke. It's good to be with you today.
0: Absolutely. I'm I'm very excited about this because we're talking about forgiveness, and I have many people I need to forgive in my life. <laughs> so, um, no, I, I, that's kind of a joke, but it's it's true. It's yeah, these are trying trying times, so always excited to learn about this. Um, Chad, just for background for our listeners, he holds a a master's of divinity from Oral Roberts University and a master's and PhD in educational psychology from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And he's married to Kirsten and they have three kids, Drew, Ben, and Kiri. And on a personal level, Chad is a friend and mentor of mine. So very grateful for that. And just before we jump into forgiveness, tell us just a little bit, um, obviously, Some of our listeners are in North Carolina, across the country, but especially for those in Wisconsin, tell us a little bit about Church of the Incarnation before we jump into the forgiveness.
1: Yeah, so Church of the Incarnation is a new Anglican church in Appleton, Wisconsin, which is about 30 minutes south of Green Bay, and the seeds of this church were actually planted about five years ago when God called us from a really comfortable, stable, predictable life Uh, as a college professor out there. Um, to plant a church. And so we ended up moving to Wheaton, Illinois for a couple of years for training and then came here last summer and landed here. So summer of 2020, in the middle of this pandemic, um, we, we landed here in Appleton. And so we see in this season of disruption and questioning that people are longing for a place where they can find something um, rooted and, and we hope to be this place where people experience the embrace of Jesus and, and find renewal in him and, and a new family in his church. And we want to embody that presence in our communities and our neighborhoods and our families. So we're, we're doing monthly worship right now, monthly launch team workshops and weekly small groups. And, and we hope to launch weekly worship sometime fall of 2021.
0: Wonderful. And yeah, we're, I'm, I'm excited right now as we're recording just getting ready for those those monthly meetings so I'm very excited about that as well well thank you for that and of course if you're in the south and you're like oh that doesn't apply to me well hopefully it could be an encouragement to you um so then let's jump in because this is you know when I first met you and heard like oh you have these degrees what did you study and you mentioned the science of forgiveness so when and
1: where did you study forgiveness Forgiveness is not something that was typically uh, in the scientific realm until the 1980s, when Dr. Robert Enright at the University of Wisconsin started studying it from a scientific perspective. Until then, it was mostly in the domains of um, philosophy and theology. Uh, But he started to research what forgiveness was and the impact that it had. And so in the early 2000s, I moved to Madison and, and studied with him. And we did some projects in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Belfast, Northern Ireland, where we trained um, elementary school teachers to implement forgiveness education programs, and we were studying the impact that those programs had on the kids. Um, so scientific study of forgiveness, relatively new, uh, but now is, is a, actually several decades in, and the, the evidence is clear that it's a really helpful thing for people in their, in their lives and relationships. Yeah. Tell me, well, I know, I know we have this
0: list of questions, but do you mind just briefly telling us about what that looked like in elementary schools?
1: Sure. So, um, the idea, especially in Belfast, where there, there is a very long history of animosity between people groups, The idea is to train up a new generation, the young generation, that as they get older, they'll be able to deal with injustice and the the out groups in a way that's healthy. And so we would equip the teachers to teach through story, through books, through asking questions, and through craft projects and things, the moral virtues associated with forgiveness. And so I mean, as an example, one of the lessons was Horton. Here's a who, and each kid got a little plush Horton doll, and they were <laughs> able to to understand that a person's a person, no matter how small, and no matter what we do to them, that every person has inherent worth, um, and that's one of the key ideas as we're, we're talking about forgiveness, and we'll probably mention that in a little bit.
0: Wonderful. Well Thanks. I, I, it's this whole thing is very fascinating to me, so I'm, I'm very grateful for that. So. Uh, Tell me just to kind of orient our conversation. A lot of times when people will talk about forgiveness, they'll be like, forgive and forget. Um, Is forgiveness an
1: instantaneous thing or is it more of a process? That's a great question, Luke. Um, And it it depends on one's orientation to forgiveness because there are forgiveness models that are are decision models where forgiveness is just something that you make a one-time choice and then that's it. But there are other models of forgiveness, including Dr. Enright's, that view forgiveness more as a process. And and one thing that I think is helpful is not confusing divine forgiveness with human uh, person-to-person forgiveness. Because when God forgives a person, there's an immediate uh, release. But when people are forgiving one another, it often doesn't happen like that. Now, it can happen in a moment. And there are times that people just make a decision. They offer forgiveness and it, it, they, they're released and they never really walk through anything more difficult, but it often is more than that.
0: Yeah. So, um,
1: that's interesting. I, I did not even think of
0: divine forgiveness versus human forgiveness. Um, I'm guessing
1: in your studies was focusing on human forgiveness. It was, <laughs> yes. It's hard to empirically investigate God's forgiveness of us. Right.
0: <laughs> um, Okay, so then let me ask, with that um, thinking about all, like forgiveness, what are in that gradual process? And maybe I can jump down. What are some of those steps of the gradual uh, process that you were talking about? With was it Dr. Enright? Did you say
1: yes? Yeah. Uh, are you asking about the the his process model of forgiveness and the yes. four the four um, phases? So there there are four phases that Dr. Enright and his group identified and that have been empirically investigated many times. And um, the, the first one is actually a really important step. And it's an uncovering step. It's an uncovering of anger. And really, it's helping us become aware of the pain and the effects that that pain has had on us. And And there are many questions that a person can ask to help surface these things, um, because we don't want to pretend that nothing happened. And um, forgiveness actually is, uh, it it requires an objective wrong, an injustice of some kind in order to offer forgiveness. Otherwise, it would be some other act that we would do. So in uncovering the, the anger, we'd ask things like, how have I avoided dealing with my anger? What defense mechanisms have I used? how deep is this pain and, and am I ready to face it? And how has the anger affected my health? We might notice that it's draining our energy, we might have headaches, we might be sick, we might just have tension in our bodies. Often we we dream or think about or replay the injury or the person and, and we spend a lot of energy on this. And and depending on the situation, we, we might even compare our situation with theirs and look at them and say, Look, their life is wonderful, and I'm the one sitting here with all this garbage that I have to have to deal with, and it's not fair. And our lives sometimes are actually changed in permanent ways because of this, whether it's a disability, a relationship that's cut off, a childhood that we feel like is wasted. And, and this, these injuries sometimes even change our worldview, where we used to think that the world is a just place and that people are good that God is good. And sometimes these fundamental assumptions we have about the world are actually changed by this injustice. And so all of this is wrapped up in uncovering anger and acknowledging it, acknowledging how strong it is, what it's done to us uh, before we can move on to the next phase. So
0: the the second
1: phase is actually the decision. So a decision is part of this. But the decision is more oriented toward exploring forgiveness as an option and then committing to moving forward in it, not demanding ourselves that we're going to get through it in a certain amount of time or in a certain way. But most of the time with deeper injustices, we get to the point where we have to acknowledge what I've tried is not working. I've done A, B, and C, and I'm still struggling with this. I'm at least willing to try forgiveness and I'm committing to the journey. I'm not committing to a particular way that I think it should unfold, but I want to move forward in this and try it out. So that's the decision. The real work of forgiveness comes in the third phase. And the third phase is the work phase where we're working on forgiveness. And the typical progression is we start with our thinking, which then moves into our feeling, which ultimately then moves into our doing, our behavior. And and it's a gradual rethinking of our understanding of the incident and the person, and actually developing empathy and compassion toward him or her. And so as we work toward understanding, there are a couple different perspectives that are important. One is a, a personal perspective, and and we kind of think about what life was like for that person. What were the pressures? What were the the things going on at the time of the offense or their growing up? Not to excuse or condone at all the behavior, but just to understand and then also a cosmic perspective. So as a as a follower of Jesus, we would take this perspective of this other person is created in God's image. They're members of the human family. They're not evil incarnate. And, and that impacts how we uh, think about the other. And then we work toward compassion. So moving into the feeling realm, where we work toward empathy, meaning the Feeling the same feelings as another person, and sympathy, feeling for them, feeling sorry for them, and having compassion for them, even, entering into suffering with the other person. Now this sounds really hard. And a bit. we have to remember that <laughs> that in this process, we've already done a bunch of other work, we've already done some cognitive reframing around understanding the other person. And this can't be done willfully. It's willingly, but not willfully. We can't force this, but it does typically come. And I can mention some, um, some outcomes of this yeah. for really hard, people who have gone through really hard things uh, later on. I can mention that. Then still in this work phase, we eventually get to the point where we accept the pain, where we make a decision to stop the cycle. And in that, we're giving a gift to those around us Rather than passing on the pain to other people, we can almost act like a sponge and just absorb the, uh, the pain that we're experiencing. And then eventually getting to the po- point where we give the offender a gift. And This doesn't have to be a physical gift. We don't okay. have to go to the store and buy them something. <laughs> uh, but in offering something to them, in that action, it actually tends to break the power that that person has over us. And sometimes this gift is, a, is moral love. Maybe it's the gift of time. Maybe it's paying someone a visit. Maybe it's a card that we send in the mail or a call. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the words, I forgive you. Actually saying I forgive you in certain situations actually makes things worse. And so we can forgive another person and offer them a moral gift uh, without ever using those words. Sometimes those words are beautiful also so I don't want to say that they're they're not important. Um, I, I remember one person talking about a gift that they gave was visiting her sick dad in the hospital. He was terminally ill, and, and there was an offense. There was forgiveness being worked through on behalf of this woman, and the gift that she gave was going to his bedside and talking with him, which is a big step for her, but it, it did release her from the power uh, that that injustice had over her. So those are the first three phases, the um, uncovering, anger, the decision, the work on forgiveness, which is the biggest and longest and most difficult. And then the last one is the discovery phase. And this is where people typically experience emotional release and, and find meaning in this whole process that actually changes who we are at the core. And there are different ways that people discover things about themselves. One of them is discovering meaning in the suffering. We often learn things from it. We often gain things from it. We can even see that other people gain things. Like my children could gain my presence in a more full way by me offering forgiveness to someone else. And, and we might discover that we're more caring. We're more. We have more empathy toward others. So meaning in the suffering is important. We might also discover that we actually need forgiveness, too, that we have offended in the past, and and now we have a better understanding of what it's like on both sides of that equation, and we might even have more sympathy for the person who, who hurt us. We also discover that we're not alone, and this process, especially for deep injustices, we have to involve other people. This is not a journey that can be done solo. And so we, we discover that there are support groups or caring friends or a, a pastor or a counselor who can really help us walk through this difficult journey. And then some people actually have discovered new purpose. And one of the studies that I'll briefly reference later, uh, there were women who survived uh, incest and, and several of them who went through the forgiveness process at the end after they had forgiven their offenders Discovered a purpose in that they wanted to pass along this forgiveness and the the freedom that it offered them to other people, and so they wanted to facilitate forgiveness groups, and and provide to so provide a direction for their future, and and many discover freedom, the freedom that they have finally of releasing, being released from this burden. And so they, they talk about peace or stronger relationships or having greater communion with God or more energy. And, and so that, that's the discovery phase. And we do try to use the word phase rather than steps because this is not necessarily a linear process. And someone can go through the uncovering anger and then jump into the decision and be working and then feeling more anger so they have to go back. And That so, feels very relatable. Yeah. <laughs> Kind of like what we've learned in the last couple of decades about grief in the social sciences, that grief is not a linear process that we can take, oh, great, I finished step one, pack my bags, I can move on to step two and never have to revisit, that often there's a a messiness. So we talk about phases that sometimes overlap and that we sometimes need to circle back and engage again. Yeah. So then with, and thank you for laying out those
0: phases, that is... You can tell that Chad has been a professor in the past. He's he's got his notes and he's just cruising through them so smoothly. I'm like, <laughs> man, this guy knows how to podcast, even though he's just a guest. <laughs> um, and he, uh, and so let me go back to some of those questions we had in regards to those phases, because of course, when you get to that discovery phase, there's a sense of, oh, look at all this like wonderful things that can happen. But of course there's all that work, um, before that phase, like it's, and perhaps like you mentioned going back and forth, what I'm trying to say is what are the alternatives to forgiveness? If someone decides not, uh, to commit, I don't remember exactly the, the name of the second phase, but if they decide, um, like what, what happens instead, I'm like myself, I have like bitterness. Are there other things that happen?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. uh, First, I would say before we get into those, I want to acknowledge that there's there are a couple of different kinds of anger and there's actually positive anger and then destructive anger. In one sense, anger is a is a God given experience of emotion that kind of like a warning light on a on your car to let us know that something's wrong on the inside. We need to go get an oil change or we need to do something to fix it. Uh, it tells us that there's been an injustice, there's something that's wrong, and that would be thoughts, it might include feelings, it might include our bodies, um, and that's that's a positive aspect of anger. So we need to lean in and, and figure something out and, and, and move toward wholeness in some way. But for a lot of us, anger will move quickly into a destructive place where it starts to linger it starts to be directed at others who are not even related to this issue, this injustice. It might involve self-destructive behavior, higher blood pressure, heart disease, decreased productivity, relationship problems. And and many of us have experienced that kind of anger that's more of a, a resentment, more of a burning, uh, feeling it again and again, and, and a rumination where... Kind of like a cow chewing its cod, just chew it, and then swallow and chew it again. And, and that's a good image, <laughs> was, isn't it? That's yeah, a Wisconsin, Wisconsin image right there. Sorry, North Carolina folks. It may not land. <laughs> so so that's the kind of anger that we're talking about is unhealthy. And research bears that out in, in many, many areas. So alternatives to forgiveness. What What else could be an outcome? There are several that, that are common. One of them is denial, where we deny that, that, that nothing nothing bad really happened. We convince ourselves that the, the abuse was just imagined because we need that loved one for support. We could suppress it, and this is probably the most common one, actually, and it's distracting ourselves. So we don't even need to list all the ways that we distract ourselves from this. With social media, Netflix, and so on, so many of them. Uh, we can repress the feelings of anger or resentment, bitterness, where we might call this selective amnesia. And this is a little less common, but but where it typically would happen is in cases of trauma. So child experiences some kind of abuse and they just repress that completely. They're not even aware really uh, that it happened. We can displace it. This is another fairly common one where we take out the anger on someone who's not even associated with the original injustice. Maybe something happens at work and then we come home and we are are uh, we speak something harshly toward kids or toward a spouse. We we take that anger out on someone else. Another thing that people often do is regress. So when we regress, we revert to a previous way of behaving in an earlier time in our lives and this can be the adult temper tantrum so anger can find its way out and just being expressed in that way some even identify with the aggressor and this is a this can be a dangerous one where we actually imitate the hurtful behavior that we've experienced ourselves ourselves so perhaps someone was abused as a as a boy now this person because of the anger issues related to unforgiveness in their hearts now abuses a girlfriend potentially. Uh, a last one that I'd mention is it and this is advice that we often get is just just blow it off, just vent it. If you're angry, you're resenting someone, just go take a run, blow off the steam and then it'll be fine. Now there's wisdom short term in those in that kind of strategy. Mm-hmm. But long term that doesn't take care of the issue. It's still underneath and and needs something else to be able to deal with it. Yeah. Wow. Um, And I would also say that it's probably important for us to define forgiveness because... Yeah, that'd um, be good. (laughs) I think some... The reluctance that we often have is tied up with what we're defining forgiveness as. So, why why are some people so against forgiving another person. And so clarifying, forgiveness is not these things. It's not pardoning someone. In a pardon, you take away all the consequences. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness can be carried out and consequences can still happen, whether those be legal consequences, uh, relational consequences. It's not condoning. It's not just putting up with it. It's not saying we deserve it. Forgiveness is not excusing. It's not saying, well, I guess all these things were happening, and so I can see why he lashed out. And no, it, it, it's labeling it a wrong. Forgiveness has to start with some kind of objective wrong, some kind of injustice, and it's not excusing that. Now later, or earlier when I talked about understanding in the work phase of forgiveness, yeah, we talked about what was like for that person growing up. What were this? What was the situation? Was he really stressed out at work when, when um, he committed this injustice against me? Those are things for understanding, but they're never meant to excuse the behavior because it is wrong. It was wrong. It's wrong currently. It always will be wrong, um, and and so we're not excusing the the behavior. We're also not forgetting. And you mentioned this earlier. Are the saying that all of us grew up hearing, forgive and forget, right? And. That's something that's actually dangerous. And we've, we've seen that in history. If, if something, um, we don't learn a lesson from going through something really hard and make a change, then those <laughs> things can tend to happen again. So forgiveness is not moral amnesia where we, we pretend that this injustice never happened. It, it did happen and it, it alters things. And we do get back to a new normal after some of these injustices, but it doesn't include forgetting. It includes seeing and remembering in a new way, a way where we're not held captive to this injustice. Um, Two more things. It's also not reconciling. It's not, it doesn't mean that necessarily you're going to get back together with this person. It could, and we often hope it does, but forgiveness is just the choice of one person to let go of the injustice reconciliation requires the other person to come back to offer an apology to demonstrate trustworthiness so that this relationship can be um, repaired and it's also not just calming down or becoming indifferent forgiveness is not just a, a callous cold heart toward the other person that you don't maybe you don't wish them ill anymore and just decide to coexist and not care about them. But forgiveness is actually moving toward and and um, I'll, I'll just jump into what forgiveness is. I was going to say this is. <clears throat> so these are all things that it's not. Yeah. But what forgiveness is it's a choice. And it's a choice in the face of some kind of unfairness to give up certain things and to give other things. And we're giving up our negative thoughts, negative feelings, negative behaviors toward a person, even though we have a right to those. And instead, it's offering positive thoughts and feelings and actions toward that person, even though that person does not deserve any of these. So it's a gift in that sense. And so it is a rational decision. It's not an emotional thing. It involves emotion for sure. But it's the choice in in the face of some kind of objective wrong to give up the condemning, resentful, revengeful actions toward a person and instead offering the person respect, compassion, acts of goodwill. And this is the paradox that in giving up our right to resentment, that's when we actually gain healing. Hmm. That's really
0: relatable talking about it as a choice because, you know, for a while I was like, wow, there are a lot of things that it's not. And it was, I'm really glad you went through those. Obviously, I'm really grateful for all this, but I was kind of like, what is forgiveness? And then when you said it's a choice, it just brings a picture to mind when, like, you have two children, or, you know, siblings or friends, and a an adult brings them together because you know one hit the other or something, <laughs> right. and you're like, all right, now say you're sorry, and like, okay, now you forgive them. And there's a sense in which, <clears throat> of course, we're trying to we're trying to train children to to get in that habit of humans hurt one another, and we need to do something about that. But there is a sense in which can't really force the child to make that decision mm-hmm. and i think the way that you just define it as a choice kind of brings that to light like oh yeah there's been situations where like you can't really make that kid forgive <laughs> yeah you
1: could make them say words but you can't force their their thoughts and their hearts to change in which case perhaps it uh in the moment just saying i i accept your apology or thank you for apologizing if their hearts aren't quite ready to jump into s- to those words. I forgive you. I see.
0: And then, and thank you. You already you covered that question. Um, where are people reluctant to forgive? Um, let me ask, and, uh, could you go into when someone doesn't apologize? Cause I know you mentioned it's, it's not the same as reconciliation, but is it possible to forgive someone who has never apologized?
1: That is one of the larger Issues and, and greatest, um, the weightiest question that we often get. And the answer, fortunately for us, is yes. Because if the answer were no, we'd always be at the mercy of the offender. And we'd have to wait until they come and apologize for us to offer forgiveness. And in some cases, it's impossible. They're the person's dead. dead yeah. And <laughs> there's no way that we can talk to them. And some people will will never acknowledge a wrong. Um, so forgiveness is a choice that, and, and a process that can be entered without the person ever, um, mentioning any kind of, of regret for, for the offense. And I think too, this is so, I'll, I'll say it again, cause I think it's so important that forgiveness is not automatic reconciliation yeah. and that we can forgive someone and still need to see, uh, trustworthy behavior evidenced over time. And this is especially true when we have situations of perhaps infidelity or um, larger interpersonal offenses where trust is depleted really quickly. It's like a bathtub being drained of all of its water. And then how do we fill that bathtub up again? How do we come back in a mutually trusting relationship Often, unfortunately, that's like one tablespoon at a time and it's filling up that tub over time. So when someone can forgive and then in a process of reconciliation um, over time, experience the trustworthiness and and because that's earned. Trust is not a gift that we are given. It's something that we earn back. Forgiveness is a gift. And let me... Uh, just
0: briefly review, because I know we talked about this earlier in the interview, but, and don't get me wrong, I'm very grateful for your level of depth of insight and knowledge and preparedness. But I think I, if I were listening right now, I'm like, I don't remember those four phases. So let me just try <laughs> seeing if I can say them back or, and you can correct me as I go. So the first one um, has to do with uncovering kind mm-hmm. of like a naming of something that went wrong. Um, yep, and realizing
1: the impact it's had, acknowledging I'm angry, and that's okay. It's actually a good thing, and and I'm exploring how how that anger has impacted me. Okay, and is it always anger, or is there sometimes just like more like a sadness or
0: distraught or something?
1: Yes, it can be any of those. Typically, those the the sadness parts are are different expressions of an anger about it. Okay. Um, But, but they certainly can be other emotions as well. Mm
0: -hmm. And then after that uncovering, um, I'm not sure if I remember the name for the next phase, but the, the word that stuck with me was kind of like a commitment Mm -hmm. or
1: like a direction of, uh, I don't remember the name you used for it. Yeah. We call it a decision decision. So that's where the decisional part of this comes in, but it is the commitment to move forward. And
0: that's really the core of your definition of forgiveness anyway, is a choice. It's Mm -hmm. a decision. Um, and then the third part is work. Work. Which is the hard part. That is the hard part. <laughs> that's, well, I guess really all of it can be hard. That's true. Um, that's true. But I guess maybe that's the part that makes it difficult to commit. Because you know, oh, if I'm going to choose to forgive this, I know this is going to be hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so then and in the final stage, and part of that work stage is, I know you talked about it, a gift. Um, that's kind of a, a subcategory of that phase. Yeah. And then the final phase is discovery, almost like, what meaning do I make out of this? Um, how does this change me as a person or affect other people? Yes. Okay, that's right. So then, after those phases, because I know we kind of we zoomed through a oh, lot of these questions, was just really fantastic. I, I this very well could be if you're listening to this right now and thinking, okay, that sounded really great, but we went really fast. It, <laughs> It's totally legitimate. This will probably be an interview that I will listen to maybe two or three times. So if you're thinking, wow, that that is so interesting. Like, especially even those, I think there's so many narratives that, you know, we use it to cope. When you said, this is not forgiveness. This is not forgiveness. You know, like, denial, suppression, repression. And then when, when you said suppression and then repression, like, uh, what are the differences between those two? It was helpful <laughs> when you had those definitions. Yeah. Um, just the way all those narratives are ingrained in, you know, either our families or mm-hmm. our groups that we belong to, because there are ways that we're like, we're coping
1: with this. Right. Uh, yeah. And so it definitely does bleed into coping strategies and what we have been equipped with most of the time as children. And, and many of us, as we, we love our parents. They did the best they could and they did a lot of great things for us and modeled a lot of great things for us. But many didn't have really great models of how to cope with really hard things and, and how to deal specifically with injustice.
0: Yeah. Well, then, um, and I know you touched on this a little bit, but I'd love to hear um, just a little bit more about what are the benefits or are there any benefits to forgiveness that you'd specifically like
1: people to know about? yeah. These are fascinating things that the that science has uncovered about forgiveness. And there are so many different groups that have walked through the forgiveness process. And the results of those are are so consistent um, across the board how positive this is for people. So the research group that I was part of did research with incest survivors and folks in, drug rehabilitation and cardiac patients and women who were emotionally abused and terminally ill cancer patients, all the way to at-risk middle school students and elementary students, as I mentioned, in Milwaukee and Belfast, Northern Ireland. And what we see consistently across the board, especially two variables as outcomes, one depression and one anxiety, that those decrease um, significantly for folks. And in many of the studies, anger also went down. So obviously if we're talking about acknowledging the anger and then working through what was what was feeding it, that that, that makes sense. Um, for the, the folks in drug rehab, their need for drugs decreased after going through the forgiveness. And usually these programs were maybe a anywhere from a few months to a year long program where they would meet every so often and then talk through um, the the next phase of the forgiveness process. Uh, In some of the groups post-traumatic stress symptoms decreased as well. So a lot of the things that are that are really burdening these folks in these situations decreased and then not only did we see a decrease in the, the, the hard emotions but then we saw an increase in a lot of the, the emotions that we would we would like to be living with and so hope was a, a common one that would increase a hopefulness toward the future self esteem is another common variable that that shows increases for folks for the cardiac patients this is this is fascinating to me because of the mind body connection yeah but when they went through the after going through the forgiveness process their hearts actually functioned better. Biologically, they were functioning better than wow. they did before. And it, it definitely speaks to this issue of animosity and bitterness and, and revenge that, that can animate our hearts. Metaphorically, actually are impacting our hearts biologically with things like blood pressure and heart disease. And and when we can walk through the forgiveness process, um, that, that actually increases the the functioning and health of our bodies and then for some of the students they also uh, who went through forgiveness they actually showed uh, advances in academics so they got better with their grades at school and i mean the the evidence is quite strong in all of these studies and more there there are many more that we could talk about Um, but it is by by far one of the best things that we can do for ourselves and for our children, for our families, for those we care about. Because this this anger that we have typically doesn't just impact us. It ripples out and it affects everyone we're close to. And, and so not only is it a gift that we can, in one way, offer ourselves, in one way, offer the offender, uh, in another way, it's a gift to everyone who's in our spheres of influence. Wow. And
0: I am struck, uh, I know this is, uh, Christianese word perhaps, but I'm thinking of the verses, I think it's in James where it's like confess your sins one to another. And then I don't remember if it talks about healing. I should probably know that. Let me look. Yeah.
1: Um, that you may be healed. Yes. Yeah.
0: That, okay, there you go. Um, <laughs> it's almost like I'm interviewing a pastor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so no, like, and I know, you know, obviously for this podcast, we have, we have plenty of folks who are like, you know. They love the Bible, love Jesus, Christians, and many people are like, you know, this is my friend Luke, uh, or I don't know about this. Um, But that just, that strikes me as, uh, it just reminds me of, oh yeah, there are verses that definitely speak to this, this Mm -hmm. integration of what you said, mind and body, I think.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and and it's this is true not just of people who are Christians, but many of the the people in these research studies do not proclaim faith in Jesus right. and and still because it's a process that God has woven into how we are as humans and how we deal with injustice and how he's he's told us to forgive, it's not surprising that when we do it's healthy for us and that's true of Christians and and non-Christians. Excellent.
0: Well, are there any last thoughts you'd like to leave us with on forgiveness? Um, I mean, I gotta say, you're very thorough, so
1: (laughs) no pressure. (laughs) Sorry if
0: that was too much. No, it was great. No, 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 don't take it that way. I'm more, I do my best to stand, I mean, you know, I am an amateur podcaster, Chad. I am not a a (laughs) professional, but my thought is like, I try to, as best I can, sit in as the listener, and I'm just thinking like they're probably expecting like, oh, Nick and Luke are going to talk about politics again, and they'll probably crack some jokes uh, that are silly, and they're like, <laughs> whoa, I just stepped into a college lecture hall. <laughs> so, oh, I think, I think that's that's, uh, I just like
1: to say thanks. Um, yeah, it's great to be here. I, I would just say. For those who've experienced injustice, my heart goes out to you. I know how hard that is. I, and, and I don't take it lightly or say these things in a way that all you have to do is X, Y, and Z. This is, this is heavy. It's heavy work, it's hard work, but it's the best work that we could do. And, and if we're feeling weighed down by these things that other people have done and said that are painful, that were wrong, We don't have to minimize it. We don't have to pretend it didn't happen. We don't have to excuse it or spiritualize it. We can do the hard work of leaning in and saying, God, would you help me walk through this process of releasing this and forgiving this person? And the freedom that comes on the other side of that is so worth all of the hard, heavy lifting that is done through the process itself. Thank
0: you. Thank you for that word that was incredible I think think that's a good spot to end up well thank you guys for joining us uh, for this week of beggar's bread Um, of course we will see you back next week for nuance ground zero we'll see you next week Uh, so Chad as people are thinking about these all these different details you mentioned would there be any resources
1: that you might recommend for if they want to delve deeper or think more about this yeah, the the place that I would send you to is a book called Forgiveness Is a Choice, and that's written by Doctor Enright, and it's not a, a super sciency kind of book. It's designed for people who have been wronged to actually walk them through uh, the process. So there will be content. There will be some questions that you can journal, and it'd be really helpful for anyone to. Tr- Yes, to understand forgiveness more thoroughly, but also equip you to walk through uh, the forgiveness process from start to finish. A really great book, Forgiveness is a Choice, Robert Enright, and I think the publishing date on that was 2001. Wow, hard to believe that it. it's been 20, 20 years, years um, but still, that's the go-to resource I uh, see. for people.
0: And it sounds like, in a way, of course, of a conceptually, but also just
1: like a practical yes, resource. very much.